So has anyone ever given you verbal instructions and you, uh, they told you exactly what you needed to do, they told you the sequence in order to do it, and then when you went back to apply it, like in my case, working on a vehicle or working on your house, and they give it to you and you go back there and you get to where your project's at and you go... How on earth do I do what they just told me to do? <laughs> Have you ever been in that moment? Like that frustrating moment? Honestly, I feel like that every time I put together Legos. <laughs> just for the record. Um, I don't, yeah, this is, uh, yeah. So in all of that, it, it can be frustrating. Um, and and which, which I think is a comparing a comparison to somewhat of the Christian faith. You know, I think a little bit of the Christian faith is a little bit like this, is we instruct people, we tell people what to do and what to believe, and we instruct people in, 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 in what the Christian faith is all about, and, and there's some frustration in this, because we'll tell people to read the Bible. We, we tell, hey man, this is your basic instruction uh, before leaving earth. You know, just read the Bible. Everything you need is in the Bible. Just read it. Here's your instructions. And, and when you do it, it it's just, it, you know, you'll, you'll have a resilient faith. And when they go and they, they get into a hard situation and they, they go, um, okay, what do I do with this? But, you know, this, this frustration of like, I don't, I don't know what to do with this in this moment. And, and here's where I think some of that frustration comes is when we fail to model what we tell people to do. Because that's what I needed when I'm working on that car or I'm working on that project. I need someone to come show me how to do this, not tell me over the phone what to do with this. I need somebody that can show me, can model it for me. Because that's when I'm going to learn it best. That's when it's going to teach me what to do best. And, and which kind of brings up another frustration, I think, that, that's common with faith or just common in today's life is, is in, in common in parenting. Come on now. I mean, every child, teenager, you get this. Um, and, and, and every adult, you'll remember those frustrating times when I say this, is when um, we'll tell you what to do, but what we tell you to do doesn't apply to us. You know that struggle is real, right? And, and it's like we're saying, believe as I say, but not as I do. And here's the reality. We can tell the next generation what they need to believe and what they need to do. But unless we model it for them, we do nothing to help them. And teenagers that are in the room... This is serious for me. Because, I, you know why? I had good examples in my life when I was your age that modeled resilient faith for me. And I want you to have models of resilient faith for you. And I want you as a teenager, a middle or high schooler, to have be a model for the generation behind you. When, when it's not just believe as I say, but it's believe as an I do. 
Now, I just want to say something. Reality is every generation is skeptical of the generation ahead of them, or like that's preceded them. Every generation has been uh, questioned uh, the, the models that have been set by the generations ahead of them. And, and that's normal. I did that with my parents' generation. You likely did that with your parents' generation, for those of you that are in, uh, an older generation. And, and the generation younger, the next generation, you're probably doing that of me right now. I understand that. I get that. But this is what I know about the next generation. The next generation is searching for someone they trust to model the way for them. They're looking for someone they can trust that is credible. See, believe as I say, not as I do, is not credible. But when what I say aligns with what I do, now there's a credibility. And I believe every generation, and the, the generation is looking for the person they can trust that, to guide them in this life. They're looking for the person who's consistent in their character and who shows courage in this life when things are hard. Because that's the credibility they're looking for. See, I, I, I've learned something. Character plus consist, consistency plus courage equals credibility. And credibility is the currency by which we lead. That credibility, that trust, is what we need so badly to lead the next generation in their faith. This is what the next generation needs. Someone who has the courage to stand up and stand out and, and let their faith stand out in that pressure of life and, and to live out their faith and their belief time and time again and be consistent in what they say and what they do. And that credibility will come when that, when that credibility to lead the next generation comes. It will it, it'll come from the consistency of our actions that align with our beliefs and our values. And that's what the next generation is looking for. And that's what we're going to talk about more in a moment. My name is Casey. And for all of you uh, young generation, next generation that's in the room, we are so grateful that you're here in the room with us today. And can we give it up for the next generation? Will you do that with me right now? Yeah. Um, for those of you that are new with us in the room, we're so grateful to have you with us. For those of you that are new with us online or for those online, wherever you're watching from, from uh, those of you that might be out of town today, and I know some of you are in campgrounds, um, or, uh, especially Hillsdale. I know three families that are down there because uh, my family's down there, by the way, um, in Hillsdale. And, uh, and so we're grateful that you guys are watching online. And for those of you that are new with us in the room or new with us online, we have a gift for you. For those in the room, we'd love to give you that gift right after today's service so right after today's service will you make your way across the lobby into our welcome center a host will be there they'd love to give you a gift for being with us for those of you that are new with us online uh, they're posting a link to the connect card right now if you'll click that link fill that connect card out we'd love to send you a gift for being with us today now Westside, would you let everyone watching online and those new in the room with us know how grateful we are to share this time with them yeah so today I'm going to ask you to give a warm welcome to Caleb Klinger now. Hey. Yeah, welcome. You're the next contestant. Yeah. Yeah. I won! No. Yeah. yeah. I, Caleb is our student director and I've... Um, Actually, I didn't invite you to ask. Uh, no, I, I, I invited like, myself. You invited so. yourself into this moment. Yeah. So, um, well, we were talking about the next generation, awkward. and I was like, I I want to be on the stage and help with one of the weeks. And, and I, this is what I want to talk you know about. What? So. And, and it was something that... 
we had been talking about. This is a conversation we've been having for a long time. Yeah. And I'm so grateful to yeah. have you up here. Uh, Caleb leads our student ministry here. And I am so grateful for his investment in our middle and high schoolers. And why don't you give them an, just a debrief of what's happening in the student ministry and a little insight of what's coming. Okay. Well, there's a couple uh, really cool things that have been happening this year specifically. I think for the past six months, we have been uh, consistently reading the Bible together wow. using the YouVersion app. Um, and so me and a group of students, some other adults have been reading these Bible plans together. And so if you are a high schooler, you have a phone, you have a tablet that has access to the YouVersion app. I invite you to join us because we've been doing it consistently. And even, middle schoolers too, right? Middle schoolers too. And even to the point where I missed a week and I forgot to invite someone and they started the plan and, and that invited was a middle me. middle schooler, right? Yeah, middle schooler <laughs> yeah. invited me. It was a little convicting. I was like, okay, yeah, I forgot to send one out this week. So that's been happening consistently for the How last... How do they get plugged into that app? So plugged you, into that that group. So you just need to find me. Search Caleb Klinger on the YouVersion app. And so it's if like, they friend you, you'll get them in on that. Yes. Okay. Yep, I'll send out the invite. So we're in the middle of one right now. I can invite them to. And then awesome. when we start a new one, I'll invite. Um, we also have a series that's coming up. Uh, it's starting on Sunday the 17th for middle schoolers, the 20th for the high schoolers. And we're going to be talking about uh, dating and just the culture around dating. It's called God, Guys, and Girls. We're doing something new with this series. And so I hope that uh, the parents in the room that have middle schoolers and high schoolers take advantage of this. We have a parent resource mm -hmm. tab on our website that has all the series topics, mm -hmm. has questions for discussion, has uh, other resources for parents to use in having these conversations and having these discussions with your student about relationships, about dating, about sex, about culture, you know, even about porn and all these hot topics that your children are being exposed to if they go to public school. And so we want to or equip, private school. Or private school, yeah. yeah. And we want to equip parents to have these conversations. And so it's really simple uh, resources that they can access while we're going through this series so that you can have discussions with your kids about what it is we're talking about and uh, know that we are talking about it from a biblical viewpoint and, and we're handling it with uh, as much care so I as highlight, possible. I want to highlight two things uh, in this. One is you've been in uh, leading our, our students into this era. Like there's a there's a focus on biblical literacy. Yes. Understanding the Bible, and yeah. so you're leading them in this. And we want to help them see relationships and sexuality in light of a biblical context. And so I, I also say this: we are giving you a disclaimer. This is a PG-13 topic. Um, we also know that this is a topic that if we want to address as uh, partnering with you in this. So we are giving you enough lead room, uh, enough runway to know about this and prepare for this. The resources are on the website. Click on the teen button and you'll see a parent resource for uh, God. Um, guys and girls. Gr God, guys and girls. Yeah. And you'll see that, that resource there. Also, when does this series start so they can know when that will start with the middle school? 17th for the middle schoolers, 20th for the high, the high schoolers. school environment. Yeah. So we want you to know that this is coming up. We are going to address this and talk about this because we want to partner with you and help shape and put a biblical worldview and, and, and tell uh, your kids why this is so important. Yeah. And, and this, the reason this is important is because our faith is so important. And that's a serious big idea that we are in this series. Daniel, we're looking at these um, young men uh, in, in this world that they were exiles and these Israelites were exiles in Babylon and they lived a faith. 
that was a model for us. And so here's a series big idea that we've been looking at. Live a faith that stands out in a culture shutting God out. And while these Four Hebrew men were exiles in a, a, a world of Babylon. They, they were living their faith out in a culture shutting God out, this culture of Babylon. We're not in Babylon, but we're in, not in a, in, a, in a real Babylon. We are in a different version of a Babylon. We kind of been talking about this as a digital Babylon, that what is in our pockets, in our purses, is, 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 is kind of a resistance against the faith. It's pulling people. It wants to challenge. It wants to lead people to not believe in God. It wants to pull people away from focusing and and trusting in God. And so in this, we're we're looking at this. And and here's a reality about your life and every one of you, regardless of your age. You are modeling your life after someone. Yeah, whether you know it or not, whether you've consciously chosen to model your life after someone we all model our life based on, you know, this idea of nature versus nurture, this idea of the influencers in our life. The people that have influence in our life are typically the ones that we model after. And so when we look at the book of Daniel, we recognize that Daniel had a model. He did. Daniel and the three Hebrew boys had a model. The prophet Jeremiah was a model of unwavering faithfulness to Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Jeremiah the prophet was a contemporary of Daniel and the three boys. His prophecies probably were directed at the generation ahead Mm -hmm. of Daniel and those three boys, but he lived at the same time that they did. And so they had his prophecies fresh in their mind. They had his picture of unwavering faithfulness fresh in their mind. Daniel actually quotes from the prophet Jeremiah later in the book of Daniel. Right. And so while they they were young kids, they were influenced by the model that Jeremiah not just wrote about, but he lived. Yeah, and we see that Daniel was influenced by Jeremiah because he quotes those prophecies. And that's the, the idea is that we want to be a model our children choose to follow. We want to be the type of Christ-following uh, people that our children choose to follow and model their lives after. Now, just uh, something here, because there's something I think that's important to just address today. Yeah. Um, the reality is this. We choose our models. And while we can choose to be a model... That doesn't mean that our children will follow our model. Okay? And I say this sincerely because there are some in the room that as we talk today, I don't want you to carry any shame because you may have done your best to model a faith and to raise your the next generation in your household as you had them to grow in their faith and to put their trust in Jesus. But when they had the choice and it came time for them to choose their own faith, which everyone has to choose their own faith. Maybe they didn't choose your faith. Maybe they didn't choose to believe the way you believe. Or maybe they walked away from faith in God. Or they choose not to believe in God. And maybe that is something that is hard and it's a soft spot and it it brings some shame and some guilt. And and this is the desire not to put shame on you. But this is, I want to, if you've got a wayward son or you've got a wayward daughter or you've got someone who's walked away from the faith. And you raise them to grow up in the faith. This is what my challenge is for you. Pray for them. Continue to pray for them. I love what Philippians 1 6 says, being confident of this, that he, God who began a good work in you, will continue it until the day of Jesus Christ, till the day he returns. 
And I believe that God is always working. And here's the reality. Is you do your best to raise them. But you also got to realize they have to choose for themselves. And, and if they've done that, you continue to pray for them. And secondly, love them. Love them the way Christ has loved you. Love them the way that God has loved you. Keep that relationship all open. Do whatever you can to have your side of the bridge built so that when they choose, they can come back and that relationship can be restored. Love them as Jesus has loved you and pray for them. I just want to encourage you um, with that today. And and what we need to do uh, in in, in this is we're going to look at this teaching big idea today because here's the reality. The faith that we want to see in them, they must see it in you. The faith that I want my kids to see in, uh, that I want to see in my kids, they got to see it in me. So here's the teaching big idea. To see it in them, they must see it in you. And this is really just the at the core of what discipleship is. It is. This is exactly what discipleship yeah. is. Discipleship is a model. Discipleship is modeling faith so that people can see faith lived out. Disciple is to model. So for the next generation's faith to stand out, we we make that claim that we want their faith to stand out. We have to have a faith that stands out in a culture that shuts God out. Now, the the interesting thing is that church leadership can be a model. Church Mm -hmm. leadership can be a, uh, a place where kids can see it in action. But I firmly believe that church leadership is not the only discipler of your, of your children, of the next generation. In fact, I think that parents have to be the primary discipler. Not the only discipler, but the primary discipler of their kids. I think it's a really important point. I mean, parents, you are the primary disciple, but you're not the only influence. I mean, you are a primary, but you're not the only um, discipler in your, your kid's life. There, there has to be a partnership here. And here's what one of the tensions is. Can we just be honest as church leaders here? Sometimes parents, what will be is we, you, we, we bring the, our kids to the church and say, you teach our kids the faith. Yeah. You do this. You do this. While ignoring the role that you have in this. And the reality is we want to equip you. That's our role, is to equip you to disciple and to be a model also. I mean, this is what it, it takes a tribe. We want to be a part of that tribe. But we want to equip you to be the disciple makers, the primary disciples in your home. And, and we want to partner with you. And now, today we want to talk about being this model of faith. And we, today we want to help you, equip you to how you can be a disciple maker in your home. So the faith that you want to see in the next generation, you can model that faith. For them, because discipleship is what it's a more, model. Yeah. It's a model, and it's more caught than it is taught. Yeah, and and the disclaimer here, and, and maybe this is why I'm so passionate about uh, church leadership not being the discipler, is that in no way are we perfect yeah. examples. <laughs> like we are yeah. human as well, and so we we are trying our best to equip you in your environments with your kids to become that discipler. And so we're going to talk about a couple ways that that we can help hopefully equip you to implement a discipleship model into your home. So let's look at this first one here. Yeah. So the the first thing is that uh, I believe this firmly that seen priorities trump spoken priorities. Seen priorities trump spoken priorities in so many different ways that are that are really self-evident. You can speak something till you're blue in the face. You can tell your kids 
something till you're blue in the face, but if they don't see it in you, then, then that, those words have very little actual effect or meaning. And, and so we, we look at this and we say, what actually is at the center of your household? Because you might be saying, yeah, church is important, Jesus is important, but what are you actually modeling to, yeah. to your household? And Jesus says that this in Matthew 6.33, he says, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. It's this idea that Jesus and the kingdom of God should be primary, should be the first priority. Mm-hmm. And so what, what do you see at the center of your household? Well, Sammy and I have talked about this uh, at length, really. And it, and it really uh, it really bothered us how many, like, bothered is probably not the right word, but it's an observation we've made that at the center of many households is the TV. You walk into a house and the couches are circled around the TV. The TV is this focal point, this gathering point. And, and for Sammy and I, for our family, that was something that we thought that we don't, we don't want that to be a, a centralized focal point of our household. And so if you came over to our house, you won't see any TVs on the wall. This doesn't mean we don't have screens because we've got iPads, phones, all that. So we're still pretty high tech. But it's this idea of what is the focal point of our house. You know, it's interesting because in our home, we've identified a, a like a, we have a family motto. Mm-hmm. Um, our kids don't really know it, but we have, Cassie and I have created a, like a motto <laughs> for our family. Yeah, yeah. So go, you go up to our kids and go, what's your family motto? They're not going to know a clue. What's a motto? <laughs> Nothing. Yeah. What's a motto um, with you? But, I mean, we've talked about this. <laughs> yeah, I snuck that right, in, yeah. yeah, that was well played. <laughs> high five right there. Okay, never mind. Um, <laughs> I love doing this I with know, you. It's good. <laughs> um, but we have a motto, and Cassie and I have been praying. We prayed about this, and it's like the bullseye that we want in parenting. We want to be a family who follows Jesus. That's the priority, and we want to be to get, want to be together. We want to be a family who follows Jesus and wants to be together. So what does that mean? Our goal is like, this is how we, all our parenting efforts go towards this. Uh, all, all our discipline, all, all, every, this is the priority. We want to be a family who follows Jesus. We want our eyes to be set on him. And we want to be a family who wants to be together when we don't have to be together. Like when our kids have keys to the car and, and, or they go off to college or they get married we want to be a family that we want to be together when we don't have to be together. Right now, they have to be in our home. <laughs> yeah. Okay? No choice. But we want to be that family. So that's our priority is we want to follow Jesus and we want to be a family who does this. So we got to prioritize that. And for us, it's our relationship with God and our relationship with each other. That's the priority in our home. Mm-hmm. And so how then do we implement our priorities? That's a question we got to ask. How then do yeah. we, okay, we state our priority, but then how do we implement, especially when we, our faith in God and our relationship with God and our relationship with each other, if those are the priorities, how do we do that? Well, I believe that the rule of life is the best way to kind of implement our priorities in our life. It, it's define, defining a rule of life. And so here's what I want you to write in. Define your rule of life. And here's what a rule of life is. It's the rhythms of your day. It's the rhythms of your week, the rhythms of your year that elevate your priorities. 
Uh, we did a series earlier this year called uh, Waste the Haste. And in that we talked at le- uh, length about a rule of life in our personal disciplines on centering our life around our faith in Christ and following Him. And really what you can do is out of your personal rule of life, you can have a family rule of life. These weekly rhythms, these daily rhythms, and these annual rhythms that elevate the priority that Jesus and His kingdom and His righteousness are the center of your home. And the reason this is so important is that the enemy of ministry, the enemy of discipleship is time. There are so many outside factors that are competing for the next generation's time. Can I just ask you a question? Yeah. This is not in the script. Okay. <laughs> and be honest. Okay. What's the most frustrating thing as a youth minister here? Oh. Not just here, it's just in ministry today. In ministry, it's the most frustrating thing in ministry is that uh, I'll, I'll have conversations with parents, and, and typically it's after their kids are grown. Uh, kids or adults make their own decisions. And I'll have these conversations with them, and they are distraught because they, they believe that their kids are not following Jesus anymore. But I'll look back at their family, and I'll look back at their rhythms, and realize that these are the families that will look for any excuse to skip church, We'll look for any excuse to skip group. We'll look for any excuse, like whether it's sports, whether it's academics, whether it's, you know, whatever it might be. And so I'm saying you're demonstrating a priority that's different. They scheduled God out. Yeah, they scheduled God out. And and honestly, we have to fight because culture doesn't accommodate the sacred. Culture has changed to the point where it doesn't actually accommodate the the sacred. I I was reminiscing that it was a long time ago. I, it's much longer than I we're remembered. Old. Yeah, we're old. But when I was in high school, I played club soccer. Okay, that that means something much different now because guess what? We didn't have practices on Wednesdays, mm-hmm. and we didn't have games that started before two p.m. on Sunday. It just wasn't a thing because that happened. Because culture accommodated what was natural in this draw. We were in yeah. more of a Christian culture. Now we're not in a Christian culture. We're in a yeah. secular culture it's, now. It's post-Christian. And so yeah. culture is always going to push that envelope mm-hmm. for your kid's time, for, for you to schedule out the sacred. And that's the beautiful thing about a rule of life. The rule of life that you define for your home, these weekly rhythms, that's going to keep Jesus at the center of your day, your week, and your year. It's like a quiet resistance to the culture that's competing for your faith. It's a quiet resistance to the culture that's competing for the faith of the generation that you're raising in your home. And you have to define that rule of life. You have to stay true to that rule of life. And this is what a rhythm of life does. It centers our lives around our priorities when culture wants to pull us away from those priorities. It's this quiet resistance to do that. So like in your home, how do you guys, what's some of your rule of life? Well, I'm going to be honest. Like we are fairly new at this. This okay. is not something that uh, we we started when we became a family, and so we're still trying to figure out like what our rhythms are. But one of the things that recently has become a a large priority for us is praying with our kids every night. Oh, it's beautiful. And praying over them and praying for them. And it was something that we did sporadically throughout the years. But uh, just a a few weeks ago, maybe a month and a half ago. Sammy came to me and she's like, no, this is something that we need to elevate as a priority in our life. And so it has become a rhythm to where uh, at the point where if we don't 
do it, Anya will come into our bedroom. She's like, he didn't pray for me tonight. Oh, you're right. You're right. Yeah. But it's, it's become this rhythm. The other thing is, you know, it, it goes back to the TV. We're never going to have a TV in our living room space, right? That's just the rhythm of our life because we don't want that to be the focal point. I'm not advocating this for everyone. This is just something that you have to dis- discuss with mm-hmm. your family, especially, and, and figure out the rhythms that work for you. How about you for the Robinsons? So the Ro- Robinson household, um, we have some daily rhythms, some weekly rhythms, and some annual rhythms. But uh, yeah, I'll speak mostly to the daily and the weekly. So um, every morning... We, we pray together. Mm-hmm. We pray the Lord's Prayer as a family. And in the Lord's Prayer, it centers our life around Jesus and, and, and God being dependent upon God. And we do this before the kids. We do it like 7 o'clock in the morning, and, uh, and, and we pray together. We also pray together in the evening. This is an important thing for us as we, we close the day down with prayer. And we've been doing that since um, our kids, Judah was uh, an infant. So um, we, we end the day praying together. And we don't, we, we pray together in the evening. And another daily thing uh, that we do, it's I guess more in our weekly rhythm, we try to have a meal together three to four times a week as a family. And that's difficult. I mean, it takes commitment. Sometimes it's breakfast, the intentional thing. Like this next Tuesday, Cassie and I have a plan to have breakfast together because Tuesday night we're... It's like tackle up all the schedules. Yeah. And, uh, and so we, we do this. And one of the beautiful things that we do at the mealtime is we uh, pray. And, and I have a very specific prayer that, that I pray during this because I want to model something for our family. I want to model something of dependence and gratitude and, and, um, and, 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 and what it means to love one another. So yeah. this is my prayer. I'll just tell you what our prayer is. Father, thank you. everything we have and everything we are it comes from you. It belongs to you. And we want to glorify you with it. Right. Yeah, and grat- gratitude and contentment is yeah. such a high priority for Sammy and I. Like the same type of thing. Like we're thankful for the things that we have. Even if we don't have as much as uh, other people, yeah. but we have more than other people. And the and so, beautiful thing in that time of dinner, I mean, you get to pray. This is something that we get to do and, and model that. Yeah. Um, another thing we pray is, uh, Father, thank you for demonstrating your love for us. And now may this be the way we love one another. Because it's that relationship that's important. So we have that. We also have some other weekly rhythms. Church is a weekly rhythm for us. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, this is what you're doing right here. I mean, I want to applaud you. This is a rule of life. Yeah. I mean, this is we, Christ is centered. So his church and be, the fellowship is important because we love Jesus. We're devoted to this. Um, so th- this is a rule of life. And, and so we, we, we make a commitment to, to being here. And uh, we also make a commitment to our group uh, that we're a part of on Thursday night. That's A2 community. We're, that's uh, this community devoted to Jesus and his mission. And here's the beautiful thing. is between the table and between our group, our kids hear about the difficult things that we go through. Because we pray about it. And we talk about it. And... And sharing those difficulties and them hearing those difficulties and being in the house when those things are those conversations are happening are so important for catching the faith. It's vitally important how the next generation sees us handle mm-hmm. hardships. It's it's vitally important because faith stands out in the trials of life, they in do. the hardships of yep. life. And it what does. we model in trials is what stands out. That's what people remember about us. That's what people and the next generation is going to see. Yeah, that's see. a point. Yes, yeah, what we cool. model in trials is what stands out. And so this idea is that, that 
you know, I I mentioned in the last service that a video came across my feed of the the old youth group pastor bringing the orange up on stage and squeezing it, and orange juice comes out. And it's like what's inside of you is what comes out when pressure is applied. Mm-hmm. That's the same. It's it's so simple, but it is so true that our faith is going to shine brighter and stand out more during these hardships. And that's the thing what trial does. See, trial pushes out what's really inside of you. And that's also what we avoid often as parents, letting our kids see the difficulty of life. Because what do we want to do? We want to shield them from that. But they need to see your faith be resilient in that trial. And I love what, you know, so I put trials in three different categories, troubles, temptations, and tough situations. Like, like this is where your faith stands out the most. When your kids and the next generation sees your faith in the trouble of life. Jesus said in this world, you're going to have trouble. Like when that phone call comes and you find out that, that, that you, you, you have this sickness or, or that you find out that the hardship of life comes because you just lost your job. You know, what your faith says in that moment is more caught than everything else that you've taught. What you model in that moment is more important than anything else because that's what's the pure part of your faith. Those temptations, when your young people are looking at you, dad, looking at you, mom, they know when you're tempted and they need to see your faith be resilient in temptation because more is caught than taught. And in the tough situations of life, when it's just tense in a relationship, more is caught than is taught. So what are you modeling to the, in those tough situations? What are you modeling in those temptations? What are you modeling in the trouble of life? See, how you model and what you model to the next generation is so important. So how do you let your, the next generation see your model of faith through these trials? Here's the reality. Is trials don't change our rule of life. You need to understand this. Trials don't change the rule of life. The rule of life sustains us through the troubles, temptations, and tough situations. Mm-hmm. I mean, how often in a moment of trouble in, or even in temptation or just a tough situation of life, what's the first thing to go in people's lives? Yeah, the sacred. I, I, like, I have this temptation sometimes. I'm just tired and so I just want to get the kids in bed, and then I just want to go yeah. and have have my quiet time. No, we we have a rule of life, and so like it, even in my life, I see the temptation to uh, abandon that those mm-hmm. priorities at the first sign of trouble. Uh, I I love looking at the story of the Apostle Paul yeah. because after he had his encounter with Jesus on the road to Damascus, he becomes this incredible example to us of, of a person that modeled resilient faith no matter what was thrown at him. In one of his letters, he actually writes out the laundry list of the Absolutely. things that he endured. But we have this great picture also of, of how he uh, took Timothy, who was discipled by his mother and his grandmother, yeah. and then furthered that discipleship and, and really poured into Timothy's life. And so we have two letters that he wrote to Timothy, and we're going to be looking at a section from Second Timothy. Mm-hmm. And Paul is writing this letter from a Roman prison. And he's writing this letter... On, just about to go to trial. Talk about a faith that stands out. Yeah, he's he's about to be on trial before Caesar, which was certain death. He knew that he was going to die for his faith. And yet, look at the words that he writes to Timothy in spite of this. 
You then, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And the things you have heard me say in the presence of many witnesses entrust to reliable people who will also be qualified to teach others. Like a fantastic picture of discipleship there. Like tell it to other people that will tell it to other people. Yeah. But don't just tell it, model it. Yeah. This is what he's about to do. Join with me in suffering like a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No one serving as a soldier gets entangled in civilian affairs, but rather tries to please his commanding officer. Similarly, anyone who competes as an athlete does not receive the victor's crown except by competing according to the rules. The hardworking farmer should be the first to receive a share of the crops. Reflect on what I'm saying, for the Lord will give you insight into all this. I love these last three verses here. Pay attention to these. Remember Jesus Christ, raised from the dead, descended from David. This is my gospel, for which I am suffering, even to the point of being chained like a criminal. But God's word is not chained. Therefore, I endure everything for the sake of the elect, that they too may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. What an incredible example of unwavering faithfulness and just resilient faith. And here's the beautiful thing. What was his faith in? The good news, the gospel, which is the power of God for the salvation of all who believe. This is where faith stands out, is when you are in a position that the power of the gospel is what you hold on to. That you trust it, no matter what. Against all odds, that you trust this no matter what. And Paul said this, he goes, that they may obtain, that they might obtain the salvation that is in Jesus Christ. This is why I suffer. This is why my faith endures, that the next generation of faith, may uh, they, they might put their faith in Jesus Christ. Church, model faith in the hardships. Model it in the difficulties, in the trouble of life. Model it when the squeeze is on. Because that's when faith is caught. More than the opportunities of when it's taught. So what I want to ask you, what's in faith of the next generation worth to you? What is it worth to you? Daniel, the three Hebrews became models to Israel of faithfulness to God and resilient faith no matter what yeah they were they were such an incredible example and the astounding thing is that they're an example to us generation upon generation upon generation later we have their story we have their example of unwavering faithfulness through the most incredible hardships and they teach us something that we can trust God no matter what And we're going to talk about that next week. Do not miss next week. We're going to talk about that. But as we close today, I want to ask you just a really important question. What kind of faith are you modeling to the next generation? What kind of faith are you modeling through the rules and the rhythms of life that you have? What's the rhythm of life model? Is Christ first? In your daily rhythm, is Christ first in your weekly rhythm? Is Christ first in 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 your in in your life? Is Christ first when you face difficulty, when you face temptation, when you face tough situations? Is Christ first? What faith are you modeling? Here's the reality: we must become the model of faith 
that we want to see in the next generation. This is our responsibility. Parents, this is our responsibility. Grandparents, this we need you to model this in your life. We need your stories of faith to shepherd the generations that are coming up. And next generation, we need you to model a faith. Because there are those behind you. High schoolers, you got middle school eyes on you. Middle schoolers, you got grade school eyes on you. Grade schoolers, you've got younger sibling eyes on you. We must become the model of faith that we want to see in the next generation. And today, we're going to do something together as a church family that Jesus established as a rhythm of life for the church. Communion. He would take these two elements and encourage his church to remember him, to remember his sacrifice. And so today we're going to do this together as a family. Kids, teenagers, we encourage you to do this. And families, parents, I encourage you to lead your kids in this today. And you lead the way. So I'm going to ask you to stand right now. Our hosts are coming and they're going to be up here with the elements. I'm going to ask you in a moment to exit out your row, out of the left, come forward, pick up your elements, hold on to them. And then return to your chair, your seat. As we sing together, after we sing, we're going to have a moment that we're going to take communion and pray together. Will you come and will you go ahead and exit? And wait, as you do this, this is what we want you to do. There's a prayer. Will you say this prayer as you come and commit this? Father, may, we, may what people see in me reflect my faith in you. Will you just pray that as you come today? Exit out your left and come forward and we'll take this together.